Now this week we're going to be uh, adjusting our focus just a little bit in the Gospel according to John. Um, We're going to take a closer look at Jesus' use of metaphor and imagery, just like we have been, um, to reveal more fully who Jesus is and how we are to relate to him. But also, we're going to begin traveling down the road that leads to Holy Week by diving into what theologians call the farewell discourse, this final group of teachings that we find in the Bible before Jesus is betrayed and arrested. So in John chapter 15, verse 1, Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. Now once again, we see Jesus using a metaphor that is outside of my personal daily experience. Because I've never grown a grape. Not once. Uh, In fact, here in Ohio, there aren't very many people who grow grapes. Our farmers grow corn and soybeans and occasionally wheat. Uh, Sometimes you see uh, apple orchards or berry-picking farms. But not many grapes. Now it's true some brave souls do it in pockets. But when you drive down 71 towards Cincinnati, you don't see rolling vineyards. You see corn. But this isn't the case in Israel. A few years back, Cindy and I got to go to Israel. And when we were there, I remember that first day we flew into Tel Aviv and we got on a bus And the bus took us from Tel Aviv to Caesarea. And in my mind, um, Israel was going to be arid. It was going to be desert, right? Like rocky crags, kind of, you know, uh, kind of the feel you get um, like in Death Valley, right? I was amazed to see how fertile it was at least on this patch of highway. Now, you get down into the Negev, yeah, that's just desert and you know, wilderness and uh, wasteland. But, but going from Tel Aviv to Caesarea, it was just miles and miles and miles of these lush, green farms. And we saw date farms, and we saw fig farms, and we saw pomegranate orchards, and we saw uh, olive groves. And we saw vineyards and vineyards and vineyards full of grapes. And, like, if I had thought through this more clearly, I would have had a picture, but you would have thought I was faking it. Because when we buy grapes at the grocery store, it comes in a little bag, there's a little clump, it's like, oh, this is manageable. Like, I'm talking the, the... the clumps of grapes you could see from the highway. I mean, just these massive clumps of grapes growing off vines. Now, like I said, I have never grown a grape in my life, and I don't know any grape farmers currently. Um, But what I've learned, and what all the disciples of Jesus would have already known, 
is that grape farming is all about pruning. It's all about pruning. Like the, the, the artistry of grape farming is about being able to prune your vine. Uh, much like other fruit farming, so apple farming, peach farming, orange farming, whatever, um, you prune any tree or vine or branch of the dead stuff. You know, the dead stuff is just uh, roads to nowhere as far as nutrition from the soil going up into the fruit. So you prune all the dead stuff um, just like you would with an apple tree. You do that with a grapevine. Uh, you prune the stuff that's dead. You prune the stuff that's uh, maybe growing in the wrong direction or diseased. But what makes grape farming unique is that part of the process of tending a grapevine is that you also have to clean it. And to clean a grapevine is to remove the right amount of leaves, the right amount of that extra foliage. Because if you have too much, there's too much shade, the grapes don't get enough sunshine, but you have to, if you have too little, photosynthesis doesn't happen, and that's no bueno as well. So you have, um, in the process of trying to grow a good grape harvest, the important part is knowing how to do uh, this pruning and cleaning process. In verse 2, uh, we read that, that uh, I am the true vine, my father's the gardener. Uh, God, the, the father, cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. And while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. And you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Um, and here is one of the, one of the places where um, the English language struggles to, to translate the Greek. So in verse 2, where uh, our translators have given us, he prunes, um, the Greek phrase is closer to, he cuts clean. So, so it's not this process of removing the dead stuff or the diseased stuff, it's, it's the cleaning of the branch. Now, this may sound like splitting hairs, right? Like, what's the difference between pruning and, and cutting clean? And, and, and it's reasonable to say, Caleb, you're splitting hairs here. You're getting into the weeds. Uh, stop. Let's get back on track. But track with me here, because I think there's an important distinction. Um, because pruning is about taking off the shoots that are diseased or dead or growing in the wrong direction that anyone can see this is bad. This is not going to help our harvest. But cleaning is about taking away something that is good so that the greater good will prevail. You know, sometimes the enemy of great is good enough. And as I read this passage, the, the, the way that, that we might think about this in modern language is, you know, we, we oftentimes as Americans pride ourselves on being busy. Doing good things, right? Like, you know, no one prides themselves on being busy, you know, wasting time. But the question that this, this text makes us ask ourselves is, is our busyness bearing fruit 
Or is it just leafy green foliage that gets in the way of our lives producing fruit? Either way, um, this is a, a unique teaching from Jesus in that these are difficult words that, that aren't going at the Pharisees or the teachers of the law. These are difficult, hard words that are going specifically to his followers. The Father cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. This isn't Jesus talking about them and their failure to live the way God has called them to. This is Jesus talking about us. Jesus is talking about being the kind of person who has the appearance of Christian religion, but is not actually connected to Christ. And because of that, is dead. And for the disciples who were gathered around Jesus as he was teaching, this image would have jumped right off the page and into their mind, they would have remembered the song of the vineyard from Isaiah chapter 5. In Isaiah chapter 5, we read these words. I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. My loved one had his vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a wine press as well. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. Now you dwellers in Jerusalem and people of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What could have been done for my vineyard that I have not done for it? When I looked for good grapes, why did it yield only bad? Now I will tell you what I'm going to do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge and it will be destroyed. I will break down its wall and it will be trampled. I will make it a wasteland, neither pruned nor cultivated, and briars and thorns will grow there. I will command the clouds not to rain on it. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel, and the people of Judah are the vines he delighted in. And he looked for justice, but saw bloodshed, for righteousness, but he heard cries of distress. God has designed humans to bear fruit, and God's desire in raising up Abraham and the nation of Israel was to have a fruit-bearing people that would bear his fruit. And in Jesus, this desire is fulfilled. Where the vine was sick and the fruit was bad and no pruning or cleaning could redeem it at the time of Isaiah, in Jesus, the Father has a true vine whose branches bear the fruit of that vine. Now as we go back to John chapter 15, uh, picking up at verse 4, Jesus says, Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. And neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I will you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now this is a promise. Jesus is promising us, if you remain in me, you will bear fruit. Uh, this isn't a maybe it'll happen, it's a will happen. If you remain in me, you will bear fruit. 
If you make the daily decision to give all that you know of yourself to all that you know of God, you're going to bear fruit. If you make the daily decision to give God your first fruits, you will bear fruit. If you make the daily decision to grow in your knowledge of God by studying the Bible, you will bear fruit. If you make the intentional decision to grow in your trust of God, surrounded by faithful partners in that journey, you will bear fruit. If you make the inconvenient decision to go out of your way to bless others, you will bear fruit. And if you make the daunting decision to go out of your way to share the good news of Jesus with others, you're going to bear fruit. If you remain in Christ, you will bear fruit. Now, one of the things that I have come to discover more and more uh, the older I get is that 90% of the Christian life is just showing up. It's just showing up. If I had a nickel for all the times that I woke up and said, oh, I just, I don't want to read the Bible today. I just want to get on Facebook and get mad about, you know, what someone posted. Feed my rage monster. I just want to open my email and start working. Right? If, I, if I had a nickel for all the days I felt like that, but found myself opening the Bible anyway, and God met me there, and gave me what I needed, I'd have a whole heap of nickels. If I had dimes for every time I woke up on Sunday morning and said, oh, it's so early. Come on, we don't really have to go to church today. But I went anyway, and God showed up and met me there and gave me what I needed. By golly, I'd have a whole heap of dimes. If I had quarters for every time that, that my discipleship group night came around, and it's like, oh, today was a busy day. I am exhausted. I don't want to have people at my house or go to someone else's house. Can't we just cancel this thing? Gosh. But we had it anyway. And God showed up, and I got exactly what I needed. By golly, I'd have a whole heap of quarters. I'd be walking around just, you know, pockets full of change. Because here's what, what I've discovered, and I'm not the first person to do it. If we show up, even if we have a terrible attitude, God can work with that. Like... You know, we have this tendency to think, you know, I, I, need to, I need to be in the right place. I need to be in the right place for God to speak to me. The older I get, the more I discover that's not the case. Sometimes it's when I am in the exact wrong place that God speaks to me. Because the Christian life is about showing up. When you show up, Christ shows up there with you. God doesn't 
need you to have a perfect attitude before you can bear the fruit of the kingdom. You just got to show up. Picking back up at verse 6. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. And such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. If we aren't showing up, we aren't bearing fruit. It's that simple. If we don't show up to our, our times of study, if we don't show up to times of worship, if we don't show up to times of uh, uh, service and being in connection with other people, it's going to be darn near impossible to grow any fruit. And if we aren't bearing fruit, then there's a good chance that we might be in proximity to the vine, but we aren't actually connected to him. We may have the appearance of religion, but not its power. The reality is that God has made us in such a way we are designed to bear fruit. It is almost impossible for us not to bear some kind of fruit with our lives. We are so inclined to bear fruit that one of the dangers that we run into... Is it like the people of Isaiah chapter 5? We are going to bear the fruit of the vine in which we are connected. No matter what that vine is. And in times like these, when we are exactly one month away from primary voting day here in Ohio, the temptation is to connect ourselves ever more so with the vine of a false messiah. To become so committed to seeing our candidate win that the fruit that we bear looks a whole lot more like the fruit of Donald Trump or Bernie Sanders or Michael Bloomberg than it does the fruit of Jesus. And this is idolatry. It's idolatry. And what's worse is, is it's the preferred idolatry of our society. So like Gideon, we must be willing to cut down our Asherah poles. Uh, do you know the, the story of, of Gideon? Uh, Gideon, he was the weakest brother from the weakest tribe of the uh, weakest community in all of Israel during the time of Judges 6. And God shows up to Gideon and says, Gideon, you're my guy. You're going to lead my people to defeat the Midianites. And Gideon said, <laughs> good one. And God said, no, 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 really. You're the guy. We're going to make this happen. And in uh, Judges chapter 6, verse 25, we find these words. So after Gideon had built an altar to the Lord there, he called it the Lord is peace. In that same night, the Lord said to him, Take a second bull from your father's herd, the one who's seven years old. Tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on top of this height. And using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down, offer the second bull as a burnt offering. 
before Gideon could lead God's people to deliverance against the Midianites. He had to cut out the idolatry in his life. He doesn't go and cut down his neighbor's Asherah pole. He cuts down the one in his own yard. He tears down the altar that he has built to Baal so that he can replace it with an altar to the living God. We too must cut ourselves away from the idolatry of the other vines that are around, that are vying for our attention, that are saying, connect to me and I can make the world better or perfect or whatever. We need to start with our own idolatry. It's, it's, it's the whole speck and log thing all over again. You know, Jesus says, before you try to remove the speck in your neighbor's eye, take the log out of your own. We must cut ourselves away from the idolatry that we are subject to, or we will only bear the fruit of that idolatry. And we can all see it. Maybe not in ourselves, because it's hard to reflect on ourselves, but we can see it in others. These so-called Christian leaders who sell their souls to whatever politicians in power. Right? So much so that those outside of the church look at them and say, why would I ever want to be a Christian if this is the fruit that they bear? We will bear fruit. That's almost guaranteed. The question is, will we have the courage in this time, in this place, to cut ourselves away from the vines of idolatry and connect ourselves to the vine of Christ? Because the promise of Jesus is that all who remain in him will bear the fruit of the kingdom. Peace, joy, self-control, kindness. A bunch of stuff the world desperately needs, by the way. The stuff that all of us ache for in our innermost being is the fruit that we will bear when we remain in Christ. He has promised that if we show up, if we cut the idolatry out of our lives, that he'll be there too. That he'll deliver, that we will bear the good fruit, that we will bear the fruit of the kingdom. And that's really good news. Not just for us, but for our neighbors who are living lives where they are stressed out to the hilt, who have no peace. Where they look at people who are ideologically different than them with suspicion. Who struggle with kindness. The things our world desperately needs are waiting, are just latent potential within the body of Christ. That as we 
make that daily decision to cut ourselves off from the idols in our lives and graft ourselves wholly to the vine, the true vine that is Jesus, that we bear the fruit that the world desperately needs. And this isn't fruit that we can create on our own. It's fruit that comes from showing up and being with Jesus. Because all who remain in him bear the fruit of the kingdom. And that is good news. Let's pray. Almighty God, we ask that you would give us clear vision in seeing the idols in our hearts. The things that we have put our trust in, the people who we have put our trust in, instead of trusting in you. Lord, we ask that you would give us clarity to see it and the courage to cut down our own Asherah poles. The courage to tear down the altars to partisan politics, to ideology. Lord, so that we can worship you and you alone. So that the fruit that we bear is the fruit of your kingdom. And Lord, we know that this is a promise. That if we remain in you, that we will bear fruit. That it's not something that might happen. But that it is guaranteed that if we remain in you, if we show up, that we will bear fruit. That if we remove the idolatry from our lives, that the fruit that we bear is going to be good fruit. It has the power to transform the world. Lord, we thank you that you have invited us into your mission and that you've given us all the resources we need to live as your holy people. Lord, we love you and we thank you and we pray all of this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.